Now we're going to read from the book of Galatians, Galatians chapter 5, and I'm going to read verses 13 through 26, Galatians 5, 13 through 26. For you, brethren, have been called to liberty, only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. I say then, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. The word of the Lord. About 31 years ago, I made a public promise, and I made a public promise in front of the entire church. We had just moved to Maryland at the time, and my wife and I brought our first child, a son. We brought him to be baptized. And part of that baptism process involved taking parental vows. One promise that I made before the congregation was that I would pray with and for my child. I promised publicly, I promised to pray with my son. I promised publicly to pray for my son. And so over the years, I remembered that promise as, as he grew up from being a baby to a toddler to a child to a, a, a boy to being a young man. I remembered that promise and I felt conscious of the need to be faithful to keep that promise, to be faithful to pray for him. And so as he came to, to hard things as he grew up, maybe it was as a child, the hard thing might have been a bad dream that he had in the middle of the night. And he came to us in the middle of the night and he was scared. And so what could I do? I remembered, I need to be faithful to, to keep my promise. I, I prayed with him. I prayed for him as he was scared in the night. But then maybe as he got older later on and, and he had things that were not so much the kind of things that are hard for children, but hard for a young man. Maybe difficult relationships, difficult friendships. Uh, I would pray with him. I would pray for him. 
I tried to be faithful to my promise. And even today, I try to be faithful to that promise to pray with him, to pray for him. Now, today we look at another part of the fruit of the Spirit. And, and tonight, we're going to look at faithfulness. Faithfulness. As a human virtue, faithfulness is something that it doesn't, it doesn't get much play, does it, in, in most of our, our conversations out there in the world. But it's important to God it's important. God values faithfulness. So let me just give a, a, a definition, an initial definition of faithfulness. Faithfulness is a commitment to a person with an evaluation at the end. Faithfulness is a commitment to a person with an evaluation at the end. It's a commitment. You promise action. You promise to do something. Maybe like in my example, you promise to pray for someone. You promise to pray for your child. Maybe you promise to support the church's worship and the church's work to the best of your ability. Faithfulness involves a commitment to action. But faithfulness is also, this kind of faithfulness that's in the Bible, faithfulness is a commitment to a person. It's, it's personal. It's not so much a promise to yourself. Sometimes we make promises to ourselves, like a, a promise that I'm, I'm going to stop snacking after 7 p.m. You're making a promise to yourself, but we're, we're, faithfulness is, is a promise to someone else. Faithfulness is not so much either a promise to some principle, like a promise to, to frugality. For the sake of being frugal, I'm going to save an extra 10% of every paycheck. That's not what we're talking about. Faithfulness is a promise to a person. In this sense, it's a commitment to another person. For instance, faithfulness would look like this. In the biblical sense of faithfulness, a husband commits to be faithful to his wife, a person. He, he commits to love her. He makes a promise to love her, specifically in the exclusive marriage love. I promised to God to pray for my son, my child. It was to a person. And so faithfulness is a commitment. It's a commitment to a person, and it comes with an evaluation at the end. And so the question that I, I ask myself now, and I will continue to ask myself, is did I keep my promise? Did I keep my promise in my wedding vows to be faithful to my wife? Did I keep my promise to be a faithful father, to pray for my son? Did I keep my promise to be a faithful church member when I took membership vows? When we look back on the time and, and on the relationship, did I keep my commitment? Was I faithful to that person? And so this is what we see. We see that a faithful God is creating faithful people. A faithful God creates faithful people. And so we're going to look at three things tonight. First of all, we're going to see that God is faithful. God is faithful. Then secondly, we'll see that God calls us to be faithful. God is faithful. God calls us to be faithful. And then thirdly, love fuels faithfulness. It's love that fuels faithfulness. So let's start with this first point. God is faithful. God is faithful. Over and over, the Bible tells us that the Lord God is faithful, exceedingly faithful. Psalm 119, verse 90, he says, Lord, your faithfulness endures 
to all generations. That means for all times, to all people, all generations, the Lord's faithfulness endures. Psalm 89, verse 8. O Lord of hosts, who is mighty like you, O Lord? And your faithfulness also surrounds you. You know, in, in this day and age, we just don't see faithfulness. And, and the, the longer an institution lasts, the more we suspect that they will not actually be true to us. That a company's promise to its customers at the beginning when it's small, it will only last so long. And, and we feel the same way about our educational institutions. We feel the same way even about people, relationships. We come to expect that the longer you know someone, eventually they will let you down. They won't be faithful to the end. But God is not like that. The, 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 the challenge that is being set against himself, God is saying, I am faithful. I have a faithfulness that endures. I will be faithful from generation to generation unceasingly. This is God. His, his disposition, his deeds, they are drenched with faithfulness. And that's, that's one of the things, as you read the Bible, you can't help notice the many time reference that are in there. You, you find that God is faithful for a lifetime for someone, for dozens of years. You find that he's faithful for dozens of generations. You find that he's faithful for centuries after centuries. God constantly is committing himself. He's making the commitment personally to a people. And then you find, as people look back on his performance, he kept his promises. He kept his commitment to his people. It's because it's in his nature to be faithful. It's in his nature to make commitments and promises to people and to keep them. And this makes a big difference. This makes a big difference because if God is your God, it means that your God is predictable. It means you may not fully comprehend God. God is beyond us. We don't, we do not claim to exhaustively understand God. But where he promises, when we can see that he's made a promise to us, we are certain that he will keep his word to us. And now, where does this make a difference for you? Where does this make a difference if you are a Christian? Well, maybe you're a Christian who struggles with assurance. You, you struggle with certainty about your salvation. You wonder, am, am I saved? Has God forgiven me? Do I actually have saving faith? Am I right with God? And maybe you, you have been a Christian for 30 years, but for 30 years you regularly wonder, am I saved? Am I forgiven? You, you wonder if you're reconciled to God. And this is, this is difficult for you. It, it drives you down into to fear and it torments your soul. You wonder if your faith is real. You wonder if your sins are forgiven. This is one example of where the faithfulness of God makes all of the difference. Remember, faithfulness makes a personal commitment. And so for those of you who get tossed about inside wondering, am I forgiven? Has God forgiven me? Here is the personal commitment from God. Here's the personal promise from the faithful God. Hebrews 10, 22. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And what this is telling you is this. You may have a conscience that keeps bothering you, that keeps firing and, and accusing you. 
And you can't stop thinking about your sin. You can't stop thinking about your failings. And you just feel morally unclean. You do not feel forgiven. And you go round and round in your head, spiraling into fear, into doubt, that you're, you're still guilty. You're still guilty before God. That God has not forgiven you. That God has not cleansed you. But God wants you to have God wants you to have a true heart in full assurance of faith. He wants you to be assured that you're forgiven, that he has forgiven you. Well, how can you feel certain? How can you feel certain about it? That passage went on to say, he who promised is faithful. You see what God is saying? God promised to you personally to forgive you. You showed up, you asked for it, and he promised He will forgive you. He does forgive you. He personally committed to forgive you. And so you see what God is saying? God promised to forgive you, and he who promised is faithful. It's all banked not on the quality of your faith. It's not not held back by how much you've sinned and how much you continue to sin. It's all completely contingent on, is God faithful? He is faithful. He who promised is faithful. And that's where you can start to enter into the full assurance of, of faith in your heart. When I, when I applied to college, you, you kind of know how that is. When you apply to college, you, you, you fill out this application for admission. So there's all this stuff that they're asking of you. You fill out all these forms. Maybe you have to write essays. You've got to gather recommendations from different people. You've got to meet, maybe, to, to go through these interviews for admission. All that just to see if the college will accept you as a student, it's the admissions application. And it's very stressful. But then, on top of that, there's the question of, how am I going to pay for this? Let's say I do get admitted. How am I going to pay for this? College is expensive. And so, not only did, did I have to apply for admission to college, I also, separately, you have to apply for financial aid. And I had no idea how I was going to do that. I was like, I'm just a kid. I'm just 18. I had no idea how to do that. And so my plate was already overflowing with the stress of figuring out how to get all the test scores sent to the the schools and and pulling together this whole application package. And then there was the financial aid application. And that was just this, this entirely different world where they had to come up with all these numbers. You had to come up with with income, my own income, my parents' income, their retirement, their savings, all that, and, and tax dependency questions. I, I didn't know. I didn't understand. And so here's what happened. My father did the financial aid application. My dad took care of filling out all those forms. He took care of consulting the dean of financial aid at the school and, and figuring out everything that they needed, what they needed, what was, what was the threshold that was needed. And I entirely entrusted the entire financial aid process to my dad. I said, he said, he said, I'm going to take care of that. And he did. I believed that he would take care of it, and he did. And he was faithful to handle that whole thing and, and navigate that whole process. This, this, this issue of your sin and your guilt being forgiven, your faithful God has made the same kind of commitment. He says, repent, believe on the Lord Jesus. Jesus has done it all and you shall be saved. It's the personal commitment from God to forgive you. 
And because God is faithful, because God is faithful, you can be certain that he takes care of your sin. You can be certain that he's taken care of your guilt. He's taken all the paperwork. It's not yours to solve. It's not yours to handle. He will be faithful to take care of all of that. And so really, the question for your assurance, am I right with God? It's not a question of what you can do. It's a question about God's faithfulness. Is God faithful? Is he? 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so confess your sin to him and let your conscience rest on God's faithfulness. Turn over your application for forgiveness to God. God is faithful and the promises and the faithfulness of God cover even more than just forgiveness. The faithfulness of God also covers everything that you're worried about. The faithfulness of God covers everything that you're scared about. Is there something that's troubling you in the night that wakes you up and disturbs your sleep and you can't get back to sleep and over and over you have a meeting with your fear and your anxiety in the middle of the night? You're worried about work. You're, you're fearful about friendships. You're anxious about money. Whatever. You need to know. You've, you've got to be able to rest on this pillow. God is faithful. He promises to provide for his people. He promises to protect his people. He will keep you safe. And because he's faithful to that promise to provide and to protect, you don't need to be afraid. He will give you good. 1 Thessalonians 5, 24. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. May you be preserved. God is faithful. He will also do it. Psalm 91, verse 3. Surely he shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the perilous pestilence. He shall cover you with his feathers and under his wings you shall take refuge. His truth shall be your shield and buckler. You shall not be afraid of the terror by night, nor of the arrow that flies by day, nor of the pestilence that walks in darkness, nor of the destruction that lays waste at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, and ten thousand at your right hand, but it shall not come near you. Second Thessalonians 3, but the Lord is faithful who will establish you, who will guard you from the evil one. Because God is faithful, you can go into the worst battle with everyone falling down as a casualty around you. And you can be certain he will protect you. He will provide you for you. Is your God, what kind of God do you have? Is your God competent? Is God capable of caring for you? Yes, he is. And then, is your God faithful? Will he keep his commitment to you? Will he show up for you in court day after day? Yes, because he is faithful. Now, we said at the start that a faithful God creates a faithful people. God is faithful. Let's see how God calls us to be faithful. God calls us to be faithful. Of the nine parts of the fruit of the Spirit that are listed, Faithfulness is one of them. The Spirit of God 
calls you to be faithful and he is making you faithful. Just as God is faithful, he's making you to be a faithful person. Now, the people who receive this, this epistle, this letter to the Galatians, the Galatians had a problem with faithfulness. And you see this even in this letter itself. For instance, the Galatians were turning away from the gospel. They lacked faithfulness to the gospel. Galatians 1, verse 6, Paul writes to them, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another, but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. And so here's one area that's right up front. The community in Galatia had trouble with faithfulness, faithfulness to Jesus. They had lost, they were starting to lose their grip on Jesus. They lost their grip on what God had originally given them in the gospel. So here's the question for for us. Here's the question for you. How about you? Are you are you holding on to the doctrines and to the practices that you first received from the Bible? Are, are you still in the worship of God? Are you still reading the word of God and submitting to it? Are you still serving the people of God and seeking the lost? Or is your faithfulness starting to falter? Are you starting to lose your grip on it? There's another problem with faithfulness in the Galatian community. They, 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 it was not only they were having trouble with faithfulness to Jesus, they were also having trouble with faithfulness to, to one another. Unfaithfulness to one another was a problem. There's this painful scene in the second chapter of Galatians, Galatians 2. The congregation at Galatia, what we learn is that it was a mixed congregation. There were different ethnicities. There were different cultures. There were Jews and Greeks. It was interracial. And they were doing well. They started well. The congregation had come together as one family. But there were pressures. There were pressures from the outside. There were important people outside from from the big city who did not think that, that mixing of Jews and Gentiles was entirely proper. And and so someone who was there, Peter, he was one of the most significant leaders in the New Testament church. He was visiting the Galatians, and, and it was good. He was ministering to them. He was working together with them. They were all one people, one family. He was doing well. But in his tenure with the Galatians, some important people came, some important people from outside, from the big city. Some people from James came, and they intimidated Peter. Peter, Peter feared that his reputation would suffer. And so Peter was not faithful to his Gentile members. Peter was not faithful to the historic minority in their midst, to the Gentiles. And so you, you've got this painful scene where he was not faithful to his brothers and sisters. Galatians 2, 11. Now, when Peter had come to Antioch, I opposed him to his face. I had to confront him because he was to be blamed for before certain men came from James, he would eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing those who were of the circumcision. And the rest of the believing Jews also played the hypocrite with him 
so that even Barnabas was carried away with her hypocrisy. So you can, you, can, you can kind of get the flavor of this picture. You can imagine even how easy that would have been. And, and you would hate yourself for it afterwards. But in the moment, social pressure can make us cowards. And we become unfaithful to one another. Our faithful God calls us to be faithful people. Faithful to him, faithful to each other, faithful to our commitments. Be faithful to God. Be faithful to God. Be faithful to attend the gathered worship meetings. Be faithful to be there and you thank God in the assembly. He asks for one day in seven, the Sabbath, the Lord's day. He calls us to keep it holy. Are you faithful to devote to the Lord, the Lord's day? But be also faithful in your work. Be faithful in your work, whether you're a student or you're a service member or you're a salaried employee, wherever you work, be faithful to your supervisor. Think of the instruction from places like Titus 2, verse 9. Exhort bond servants to be obedient to their own masters, to be well-pleasing in all things, not answering back, not pilfering, you know, not petty theft, but showing all good faithfulness. It means you give your employer fair labor. It means you're honest with your reports, you're honest with your time. And it means also the faithfulness that God is calling out of all of us wherever we are, in church, in family, in work. It means you're faithful both in small things and in big things. In big things and in small things. It means, that means you're faithful with keeping your word. It means you keep your word and it's important to you, even if it seems like a small thing. Matthew 23, 23. Jesus said, for you pay tithe. You're very meticulous about taking a tenth of mint and anise and cumin. So you're very careful about tithing, even herbs. And you've neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. So he's saying both the small and the great matter. And faithfulness is one of the great things. Jesus says little things matter. So for us, you know, we don't, we don't live in a culture where you, there's this way to tithe your spices and your salts and your, your cooking oil. But maybe what would be something that's kind of a little thing that still matters to God? I don't know. Could it be traffic laws? Could it be stealing internet signal that's not yours? You're not paying for it. Someone else is paying for it, but you're using it. But Jesus says the big things also matter. The big things also matter. The, what he calls the weightier matters of the Lord. He says, you ought to have done both of these things. What are the big matters? Justice and mercy and faithfulness. Now, to us, faithfulness feels, feels small. But to God, faithfulness is big. Did you know that at the end of the world, and there is an end to this world, it's not going to go on forever, God is going to call all people to give account for how they lived. 2 Corinthians 5, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Romans 2.16, in the day when God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ. And so that day when he will judge 
even the secret things that nobody knows about, but God saw, the, the, the tape was recording the whole time, it, it will be the most solemn performance evaluation that you will ever receive. What is it that God's going to weigh? What is it that will matter to that judge, to God? I can tell you this. He is not going to ask where you went to school. He's not going to ask, well, what rank did you achieve in the organization? But maybe he will ask, were you faithful? Were you faithful to me? Were you faithful to your brothers and sisters? Were you faithful with the work that was entrusted to you? He will note, he will note that you were faithful when things were hard. They were hard and you remained faithful in that. And, and he will note that you were faithful to him, you were faithful to your husband or your wife when things were hard and when they were hard for a long time. He'll note that. And he will note if you were faithful to him, faithful to him to the very, very end. Luke 16, he who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. And here's what you want to hear on that last day. Matthew 25, his Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you a ruler over many things. Enter, enter into the joy of your Lord. Do you, do you find that you've got a challenge where it's hard to be faithful? Maybe the challenge you have is with just loving someone who is exceedingly taxing. Did you keep loving difficult people even when you got no credit for it, even when you received very little, if any, praise on earth for enduring in loving a difficult person? Did, did you keep working honestly when you were surrounded by people who were cheating and they even got ahead of you, they got promoted past you? Did you trust God? And did you keep trying to stick to his word? Even when you were scared, were you faithful to him? Did you keep serving in the church? Even when you could have spent your time on something that was way easier and something that would have been way more rewarding, did you continue to faithfully serve? When you get to the end, will he say to you, well done, good and faithful servant. I saw what you did. It mattered to me. All I think of, I think, whenever I think of faithfulness, I have to think of mothers. All you mothers. All you mothers who carry so much on your hearts. God sees your enduring, faithful care. He sees all the laundry that you pick up for people. He sees all the things that you have to wipe up and clean up. He sees your worries, the burdens on your heart, and how you were faithful to care and to pray year after year, decade after decade. And, and all you elders, you shepherds of the souls, or, or just you people who care about the souls, the well-being of your brothers and sisters, you, you have a very shepherding, pastoral heart. You may not be an elder, you may not be a man, but you care about the well-being of your brothers and sisters. And you're the kind of person who, who pour yourselves into these, these seemingly little little ministries, these things that seem like just very small ways of caring for people. Maybe, maybe you, 
you make conversation with the children. Maybe you tutor a child for a year, and then you later hear, oh, he dropped out, she dropped out. You, maybe you, you try to pour into a person in crisis, and then you find out when things are sunny again, they just drop you. Maybe you've served for years, and you feel like, I've got nothing to show for all of the ministry efforts that I attempted God values your faithfulness. He sees it. You know, he's not after numbers. The numbers matter, but what he's really after from from all of us is faithfulness, whether the numbers are big or whether they're minuscule. Your faithfulness pleases him. But we grow faint. We get weary. Our, Our faithfulness falters. And this is a recurring theme in the Bible. We look, at, we look at the people of God, that's us. We look at the people of God, and what we see is many times in our history, our sad history is we don't stay faithful to God. We don't stay faithful to one another. And, and given enough hardship, maybe it's just so heavy, we quit. Or given enough time, it just drags on forever. Our faithfulness starts to, to weaken and it starts to wither. Given enough ease and pleasure, our faithfulness can easily turn into unfaithfulness. We start to go after the easy and, and, and avoid the hard. Over and over in the Bible, what we see is that God's people, they act like an unfaithful wife to him. Throughout the Bible, his people turn from their heavenly spouse and they turn to some kind of earthly lover. But why is it? Why, why do we do that? Why do we wander? Why why am I unfaithful to God? Maybe in these, these hidden, unseen, but significant ways. Why, why am I unfaithful? Why are we unfaithful to each other? I think we can say that at the root of it, we're unfaithful because our love ends. We, our love cools. And that's why we're unfaithful. There's a link in the Bible between love and faithfulness. They're very closely related. It's, it's because love fuels Faithfulness, And that's, that's the third thing that we'll look at now. It's when you love someone, when your love is alive for them, when your love is, is strong, it's, you stay faithful to them. It, it's actually not hard to be faithful to them. When your, your love is strong and, and, and it's, 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 it's running well. And so we're talking about how our faithful God creates faithful people. And, and we also notice and recognize that, well, we, we can get unfaithful. And so here's what we need. We need love. We need love for God to fuel our faithfulness to God. We need love for each other to fuel our faithfulness to one another. But how do you get this love? How do you get this kind of love that will fuel your faithfulness? Well, as always, you need to see the love and the faithfulness of Jesus Christ in the gospel The answer is in Christ in the gospel. In the gospel, we see the love and the faithfulness of Jesus. Look look at just this one angle. Look Look at the brotherly love of Jesus in the incarnation. We talked about how it was Peter got himself into this terrible situation where he stopped being faithful to his brothers, his brothers and sisters. Look at the brotherly love 
of Jesus in his incarnation. When Peter came to Galatia, he had this failure of love for his his different race brothers and sisters. And that led to his failure of faithfulness to his brothers and sisters. But in the incarnation of Jesus, Jesus loved those who were of a different kind. And Jesus didn't just love humans. Jesus became human. Hebrews 2.17 says, In all things he, Jesus, had to be made like his brethren that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. He had to be made like us in order to be faithful to us. And so in his incarnation, Jesus Christ became a man. God became man. God and man in one person, two natures. And that made him able to be faithful as our high priest. And the incarnation was an act of love and faithfulness. John 13. Now before the, priest of, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour, his death, knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. He came into the world, that's his incarnation as a human, and it was also his faithful love. He committed to save us by living for us and by dying for us, and he did that to the end. What was the evaluation of his faithful, his commitment to us? He loved us to the end of his life, all the way. He ran it all the way to the finish line. He loved us to death, and that's faithfulness, isn't it? That's love to the very end. That's love until you die loving. What will keep you faithful? What will keep you loving? It's not going to be self-will. You need to exercise your will, but it's not going to, in the end, be just this incredible display of self-control. It's going to be love. It's love that will keep you faithful to the end. When you love God, when you love God, you're just going to follow your heart, and faithfulness will come easy. When you love your brother and your sister, you're going to follow your heart, and faithfulness will come easy. I had this dream recently. I told a few of you about this. In this dream, I completely blew it. I had a complete failure of love and faithfulness. I, I dreamed I was, I was working with some people from other countries. I, I dreamed I was working with some international students. And somehow in the dream, I, I decided that the students were just getting out of line. And because they were getting out of line, they, I needed to pepper spray them. And so in my dream, I pepper sprayed all of the students. And in my dream, I had that horrible feeling of, what have I done? That was wrong. That was not loving. I sinned against these people. You know, by doing this, this is big enough that I'm now disqualified from being a pastor. This is terrible. It was kind of like what Peter did in shoving away from the internationals in his congregation. I was unfaithful. Peter was unfaithful. But there's another time when Peter did something that was notably unfaithful again. It wasn't to members of the congregation. It was to Jesus. You remember how Peter forcibly, intentionally, was publicly unfaithful to Jesus. He cursed. When they asked, you were with him. You know him. He cursed. He swore. He denied that he ever had known Jesus because he was scared. Peter was scared. And when he was scared, 
he was unfaithful. But do you remember how that incident resolved? Jesus came to unfaithful Peter and for every one of those three unfaithful denials of Peter, what did Jesus ask Peter? Do you love me? Because it's love that will make you and keep you faithful. Do you love Jesus? Do you love him? In the end, you recognize that God receives you Not because you're faithful. God loves you because Jesus was faithful for you. When, the word tells us, when we are faithless, then he is faithful, for he cannot deny himself. He's faithful for you. Because Jesus loves you, you can be sure he will be faithful to you to the very end. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we want to be faithful to you. We want to love you. We want to love one another. We pray that the faithfulness and the love of Jesus would be magnified in our sight and that you would move us and that we would know, we would be convinced that you're faithful to us, that you love us so much that you would be made us. And so we thank you. This is all of grace. We don't deserve any of it, but you have done it. And so we thank you, Jesus, and pray that you would form in us the same faithfulness and love. In his name we ask, amen.